At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thank you guys for tuning in for the uh, Five Stripe Friday Coffee. I don't know what we're going to actually call this, but just for the time being. Um, Tim and Kevin in the morning. Tim and Kevin in the morning. <laughs> I think that works. Yeah. I like it. Um, so anyway, we are uh, we are live, finally, worked out the kinks, and... Um, I've got... What are you sipping on today? What do you got? Cold brew, man. Well, I, I had a full cup or glass and oh, yeah, or mason yeah. jar, and now it's next to nothing, so... We we were supposed to have already been close to done by now. <laughs> yeah, we should have been halfway done at the very least. <laughs> yeah, that's now. not... Uh, anyway, thank you guys for tuning in and joining us on a Friday morning, um, wherever you guys may be watching, whether it's Facebook or, or Periscope, YouTube, we couldn't get working this morning for whatever reason. It's usually um, the, the typical tried and true workhorse, but it... It didn't come through. Um, I've got what? What kind of? I wanted it to be like uh, like your whiskey. Like what? What kind of whiskey are you sipping on? But I've got so I've got Javalia. I've got a Javalia traditional house blend. I got a, a uh, cast strength cold brew uh, bottled at ninety four proof. And um, yeah. is that a seventy? Is that a seventy two hour cold brew, or is that just like a typical twenty four hour? You know, the seventy two has a little bit too much of a bite, and it gets a little it mm. gets a little older. You know, it just sort of sits in the barrel a little too long. I think so. I think the twenty four hours is really the sweet spot. As, yeah, as it relates to cold brew. I went. I went with a normal, you know, drip brew in a carafe with oh, you got that uh, with my Javalia. You got yeah, that I got that drip, drip, drip. <laughs> um, so hopefully you guys are finding this, um, us being on multiple platforms to be beneficial. We're going to start doing this. I think once we get the kinks worked out, it's going to be on every single broadcast. We'll be live with it on Monday, hopefully. Um, so that you guys, if you guys are Facebook live people, watch on Facebook live, we'll chat with you. You guys will be part of the, the collective trap. Uh, and then same with YouTube and, and Periscope. YouTube, I, I just think having it scheduled and then, and then messing with yeah. it, I think ended up causing an issue. So. Uh, I'm not that worried about that for the time being. And then, um, anyway, we're coming off a, a great night, great win against uh, Herediano. A great week? Or is it Her- coming off a great or is week? Is it Her- Her- Herediano? Oh, I don't know. I'm not going to get into this. Yeah, I don't know. There. Um, agreed. So, let's see. Where is your video? I'm going to move that down so I can put these uh, reviews up on the... 
yeah, on the last. It's been stream. a good week. Uh, you guys showed out. We alluded to it a little bit. If you checked out the first offside trap, we appreciate it. Where we sat down with filibuster podcast and uh, RFK refugees, and it was a good time previewing the game that we have this weekend. And we're kind of in the in between Concacaf last night and then DC United game on Sunday. But we sat down. When was that? Monday? Tuesday? No, Sunday. Uh, Sunday. That was that was Sunday night. Yeah, yeah Sunday we night. released it. Uh, sat down with those guys yeah. and got a little bit of a preview on what to expect going into the DC game. But we didn't really have a formal official show. Yeah, what to expect when you're expecting. Yeah, and so you guys really showed out big time this past week. And I, I think that the vault might be cracked already as far as our predictions on the number of ratings we get on iTunes this this season yeah so. let's see let's see where is it at i have the um let's see oh you didn't leave the oh wait no here it is itunes reviews i had 172 dan's at 160 and kevin's at 168 and dan is already in jeopardy no, no dan, dan already lost today we're at 161 yeah. right now which is awesome thank you guys so much and and as a result of those efforts we ended up getting all the way up to the number two MLS show on iTunes. Uh, still, yeah, ahead of ahead of Grant Wall of Sports Illustrated and Alexi yeah, Lawless. That's pretty nice. We'll, ne- we'll never pass uh, Daryl Grove and Taylor yeah. at a Total Soccer show. It's just never going to happen. Not at all. Uh, well, it won't keep us from trying though, and we look forward to doing more offside traps. We've got another one coming up uh, Monday with Cincy Soccer Talk, and yeah, so check that out preview that game we got a lot to talk about but back to the reviews we've got actual reviews to read as promised so so i've got uh e loves up on the screen right now this is a good conversational format five stars by e love 337 these guys will really grow on you even kevin required listening for anyone who loves the team so that was the one that we uh we couldn't get to uh the other day because of the way that the podcast app is. So I got Fender XX up there now. Uh so yeah, five stars for the now eightish stripes. ATL fans are super lucky to have multiple fantastic podcasts that share our love of Atlanta United. Not this podcast, of course, but others. I'm just kidding. Thank you guys for all that you do. Five stars for the eightish stripes. I do like the new kit though. I, I will say, yeah. last night watching CCL, it, looked good. it did look good. But it, so the the tramp stamp doesn't look bad with whenever you have a full player kit on there. Yeah. It doesn't look as bad. Yeah. yeah, but I still I seeing those things in person, I have real concerns about the mesh back. But that's for another time. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it wasn't as noticeable with the peach kit because. The King Peach kit, maybe because it was all white, but I, I don't know. It, it had a similar mesh feel to it. Yep. All right, we have a AUFC content saturation not met. Therefore, first-time listener, pleased. Five stars. This is what I like to v- see, a first-time yeah, listener. Sh- That's great. By Sean Brad. He says, uh, first-time listener, so small data sample, but I really enjoyed my first listen. Good sense of humor and a little less of the overproduced radio feel can go a long way in the podcast world. Don't want to speak too soon, but might make this my go-to AUFC podcast I recommend to anyone. Appreciate it, John Brad. That's uh, that's nice. And then we have uh, Cornbread, too. Listen, five stars. Entertaining podcast for Atlanta United fans. Not as much for Orlando fans. Couldn't have said it better myself. 
All right. Now we have the most critical. And again, we, we say this too, is if you guys leave us, we want feedback. We just want to know uh, what we're doing well, what we're not doing well, so we can change if it is part of the, the structure of the show. And then we feel comfortable uh, changing to that to that tune to make you guys happy. We have Sidetracked But Good Info, Three Stars by Dave MacArthur. Uh, these guys are good, but not the best. Uh, they get sidetracked a lot and beg for reviews and ratings often. Okay, that's that's fair. Otherwise, the content about the team is good and bring up good topics, just very sporadic on what they talk about. I think that's our brand, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all part of it. All right. Now we have, now we have, um, we have Trapstar MVP, uh, Mr. Wakatata Flame, uh, ATL Gouda in there. Okay, fine. Five stars. <laughs> if you're desperate enough for reviews that you guys record a pre-show message, then I guess I'll leave one. Home Before Dark is a top five Orlando City podcast who basically talks some soccer and Nashville hot chicken. Sometimes Dan is there. Ideally, listen on YouTube live if you can schedule it. They will talk with their fans in the trap. Since they have to read this out loud, Gouda at Wakatata Flame. He's a good dude. Yeah. Gouda's yeah. a good dude. Yeah. You guys can uh, go check out wakatataflame.com. So thank you guys for, for all of that. And uh, we appreciate it. And bear with us as we kind of work out the kinks over the next couple of weeks. And thanks for responding with those reviews and ratings. It helped us out big time this past week. And we look forward to seeing more of those. We we, we take the criticism that maybe um, we went above and beyond the, the call to action. But sometimes you guys just need a little poking and prodding to get you there. And you did it. So... Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> That's true. All right. So down to brass tacks it is. Um, let me get a sip of coffee. Mm. Friday morning. I know most of you guys probably are commuting unless you have the uh, the nice work from home type uh, benefit. All this all this privilege that I'm having so much. over here where I'm at. So much. Um, but last night, you guys got to be feeling good about last night because oh, I feel I feel really good. I, the only thing I hate is the fact that I got the score prediction wrong by one goal. The only thing I hate was that you were closer to being right than I was. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go over, so that's true. Um, I think that's how that works. So um, up from up from Costa Rica comes Herediano for the second leg and. The sky was falling last week. Everybody was calling for Frank DeBoer to get his, oh, this is exactly what happened at Inter Milan. This is what happened at Crystal okay, Palace. All right, the sky is breaks. falling. Not everybody. Just I know. people that are upset that the Atlanta dude, United dude, season I still... ticket package was just a box with lights on it. It's those kinds of people that were calling <laughs> for that. I still saw it last night even in, in replies to things where people were like, I'm telling you, like, and I go to the guy's page, and he's a Crystal Palace fan. I was like, okay, yeah, your ownership kind of shit, like, yeah. didn't give him time for anything. I get it. He didn't. His team didn't score a goal for you know a handful of games, and he got let go. But give him time, dude. Uh, the lineup that he put out last night, I can't think of a honestly a better lineup to start the season on Sunday. So we. We didn't have a chance to really talk about that first leg. We didn't have a show in between the first leg and the second leg. And that's kind of one of the talking points here is to just capture round one of CCL all together for Atlanta United. What are some of your thoughts on um, maybe Frank's tactics or his what what his performance was as a new manager for the club 
going from week one to week two in that first round, some of the changes that he made in the lined up. Um, one of my big sticking points, just to kind of kick things off here, is that I was I wasn't one of the people calling for his head on a spike, but it was. The first game I was frustrated, and I always get frustrated whenever managers just sort of take the standby approach to coaching the game. And in the first leg, Frank just kind of sat in the background and watched and only really got engaged whenever there was a missed foul or something like that. And then he got involved versus what I saw last night where he was very engaged on the sideline, communicating to the team, and really coaching and managing the game in a way that benefited the players having his involvement as a third-party spectating. Um, So I will say that that is a big one for me, that he seemed much more involved and engaged in the game last night, at least during the 90 minutes of play. No, I agree with you, and that's one of the things – I, like you brought it up last time, whenever we, whether it was on the show or you and I talking about it, just in general, that that whole he was he was sitting on the bus stop the entire time during the, yeah, uh, exactly. the game down in San Jose, yeah, and um, yeah, that's one thing I noticed immediately last night. He he was up on the touchline pretty much the entire night from from beginning to end. Yeah, that great jump suit. He on. was a yeah yeah. He's looking good, man. He's looking trim and fit and yeah. Um, but he. I was um, I was very happy. Not just that, but his just in, his enthusiasm on the sideline as well. His his cheering on goals and his cheering on good play. His communication with the team. It did seem like a complete 180, or to quote Jason Kidd, a complete 360 from the game down in uh, Costa Rica last week. And I'm sure it did make an effect on the team. I think one of the so if we're going to go into tactics and and everything, um, I don't. I'm not the most tactical mind when it comes to soccer. I have a I have a hard time translating it as I'm watching it, but because I just like watching it for the spectacle. But so we, we played a very open game in both games. I think we tried to play with an open, obviously with the with the um, the formation that he plays, especially essentially that three back, whatever you want to call it, five back with two wing backs. It just we're playing very open and pressing, um, and I think it was just. Two two changes really that got made between those two games that were drastically uh, are, are made for drastic improvements, and that's obviously uh, moving Miles Robinson, which was one of the big criticisms of the first game. Not Miles Robinson's inability to play in the center because I think that he played a good, or I think he was one of the bright spots down in Costa Rica. But Michael Parkhurst doesn't have the speed. Whenever you have a three back and a susceptible three back with two two wing backs that are pushed up all the time, you don't have you know somebody Michael Parkhurst. He's he's not going to be able to handle that pressure and the speed that's likely going to be coming down from that wings, especially whenever they break past um, past our our defense. Yeah, and moving Miles Robinson over there, just that switch really made the difference last night i think i think that there was there the three major changes that we saw from leg one to leg two were obviously bello has taken an undisclosed injury so he was out of the lineup last night so breck shea comes in at left wing 
Yeah, that was the other change that I was alluding to. Um, Yeah. So, so Brexhay comes in. I I don't know that that's necessarily a a coaching change per se, based on Bella's injury. But Brexhay's in the lineup. I think tactfully, uh, or is that that's not the right word, right? Um, Anyway, uh, the the switching of Miles Robinson and Michael Parkhurst uh, was a good call as far as the coaching standpoint. But then finally, the big lineup change and adjustment that he made was the substitution of Nagby in for Jeff Lorenowitz in the starting lineup. And I think that that – I go back and forth thinking about it, whether or not that or the Breck Shea change had the biggest impact. But it was a noticeable difference last night in the run of play versus the first leg where – Atlanta United actually had some sort of buildup and play and control over yep. the ball in the midfield that was massive, missing severely in that first leg. And I think a lot of that has to do with Nagby. I think the other half of that has to do with those lineup changes on the back line and a little bit more confidence and uh, understanding that those backs are positionally where they really need to be. Um, so, yeah, I think some of that – Frank definitely gets credit for, especially the the Jeff substitution and and understanding that Miles Robinson is probably better suited for uh, that right center versus in the middle. And the bellow the bellow thing, we'll we'll get into it a little bit more. But I think that he made huge adjustments and and rightfully so, and it definitely paid off big last night from the coaching and management standpoint. Yeah, agreed. I mean, what did you, what did you make of Brexhay's? Um... Brexhay's uh, his performance last night. Um, I think that Brexhay, for I'm one of those people that doesn't know much about him. I've just sort of heard it and caught up on it over the past couple of months since we signed him. And from everything I understand about his career and and lack thereof, I I honestly think and hope, I know it's just a small sample size, but if he plays like he did last night, I think some of his best play may come from Atlanta United, and he seemed to yep. fit into that lineup really well. I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but I felt like while Bello has a lot to grow, and, and I want to talk a little bit about the Frank decision to keep him in the game in the first leg in a second, but since we're talking about Breck Shea, I think some of the optics for me, and, and again, I might just be reading into it too much, of having Breck Shea in there over Bellow is that I think that the rest of his fallback was a little bit more confident in his play versus whenever Bellow was in there. You didn't see LGP lending himself to so much support on that left side so that he was more left of center versus completely left like I feel like he was in the first leg, which opened up our back line a lot, especially with Parkhurst being so far on the right. So we had just big holes in the defense on the first leg that you didn't really see much of last night. So I think Brexhay with his speed and my God, dude, his his left foot between him and Gressel on the right their ability to whip that ball in from both sides is going to be really dangerous and it allows Barco to drift and move a lot more from left to right on the field, which we saw a lot of last night. Yeah, it was nice to see. It's it's weird. I, I love George Bellow to death and I want him to get as much playing time this year as possible, but we talked about it kind of going into the season or, you know, a couple weeks ago um, where I, I personally felt like Breck Shea was going to get a handful of starts to start the year to kind of acclimate 
and then to um you know his experience was going to lend itself to kind of getting this team together and and their chem- their chemistry is obviously good coming off the last two seasons you know a lot of the same pieces but to get them used to the new formation and get them used to um playing under Frank DeBoer having a more experienced player on that side might be of benefit and he looked really good last night I mean the some of the overlap I mean again one of the things I love about Breck Shea that I've always loved about Breck Shea again I will say this up and down I'm not the most objective person when it comes to him because when I saw him in the U20s years and years ago I, I immediately fell in love with him because I love deceptively fast big wingers there's just something about them that adds it's it's you don't see them that often and they add a really weird fun dimension to the game and I think it's something that can lend itself to um lend itself to us scoring more goals to be honest because if you think about Gressel's maybe a little bit of the opposite um he's gonna weave I think inside a lot more and last night Julian Gressel may end up um, I actually wanted to add that to the vault. We don't have Dan here yet, but I'll talk about that in a second. Or we don't have Dan here, but um, I don't know. I agree. With, with them playing on opposite sides of each other, it's going to be really dangerous. Um, but it's also not a bad person for George Bello to get some um, some tutelage under for his his offensive play. So speaking of Bello and, and going back to what I was mentioning before, the first leg, there was a lot of just like people calling for Frank to be fired and that it was the end of days with him as a manager. What are your thoughts on there? There were sort of two takes on Bello in that game that I think, I think overall he played as expected. And I think everybody understands, or at least on our side of things, the two of us understand that he wasn't going to come in and ball out for 90 plus minutes Um, that he, that at that level with it being the first game, He's just not there yet, but he's definitely got a lot of promise as it relates to getting to that point. And so him coming in, I feel like that first 60 minutes, he did play pretty great. But the last 30 minutes left a lot to be desired. And one of, and Frank's decision to leave him in there was somewhat controversial as it relates to Twitter backlash. So my stance is that I think if you're developing young players – and knowing what Frank wants to do with these kids is you got to let them take their licks. And, and we were already down at that point. Does bringing Breck Shea in really change everything uh, for that first leg? I don't know. And hindsight's twenty twenty in that regard. But if you're constantly letting your kids think that if they mess up that you're going to pull them out, they're going to be afraid to make mistakes and learn from it. Um, so from that standpoint, I think I agree with Frank's decision to keep Bellow in the lineup, even though it did seem to be a liability because he needs to learn from those things and he needs to have those fuck ups to, to grow and, and adapt his play from. No, I agree with you. Uh, that was one of the criticisms last year, whenever Bella did get in and, and one of the kind of obvious things too, um, and maybe it wasn't no, so it wasn't necessarily the the driving factor behind the kind of dip in form towards the end of the game. But last year, he he came in, and I don't I think not having a full season with the first team in training, his match fitness was not where it needed to be. And you saw him; he goes guns blazing. 
he's fantastic for the first two thirds of the game. But you saw that towards the end of the the year, whenever he was getting starts, he kind of dips and he starts getting exhausted towards the end of yeah. the game. Um, and it's obviously something that you can train and you can work on and you can get you know get him to the point where he is uh, fit as a fiddle, as it were. And, and I think he's going to be great. I mean, he's still only seventeen years old, right? right? Or did he just turn? He turned seventeen a yeah. couple weeks yeah. ago, something like that. Um, so let me ask but, your opinion on this, if, if as it relates to Bello, again, understanding that this is a very small sample size, seeing one full start out of Brexier, one full start out of Bello, how do you see those two as it relates to their play going forward? So it's it's a it's a little unfair, and I'll um I'll I'll tip a hat to Rob Osfrey from from Dirty South Soccer where last night he was saying it's it's really unfair that George Bellow didn't get to play on the grass at Kennesaw where he had to go and play at that shitty turf down there, not the not the MBS turf. And and he might be a victim of circumstance at this point because what do you say whenever you have uh you bring a winger in and you score three more goals than you did the previous game where that winger was involved in a lot of buildup, a lot of creating of chances, a lot of overlap. He assisted – did he assist two or did he just assist one? He had, I think, he resulted – He resulted in Martinez's first goal, which kind of came right, off a yeah, deflection. Yeah. And then I yeah, think yeah. he played a part in um, – He scored he, – he assisted the tap-in. Right. Um, right. For Joseph's exactly. second goal. So uh, – Optics for me as an outsider, I come in with no prior knowledge of Breck Shea, of George Bellow. I watch these two games. I'm wondering why there's a debate, to be honest. Yeah. Because um, you're looking at a 17 year old kid who, again, was it was good in the first half. I thought he was far from our, our weakest link uh, whenever we were playing down in Costa Rica, but he's comparing him to the performance that we saw last night and just the fluidity in the team and everything in terms of style of play i think that's what we can expect if that's what you're asking now if that's what we can expect the entire year is he's going to be playing a left wing back and it looks like right now breck shea has the edge offensively and his ability to get up and to, and to create service but that's again his his tutelage of of george bellow because I see Bello as a guy who's going to want to grow and want to learn from everybody that he can, is is going to take some of that, and I think he's going to up his offensive game. And I think by mid-season, if not beforehand, I think you see George Bello starting, right. um, and then Breck Shea coming in as um, either a substitution towards the end of the game, if if you know maybe his his fitness still isn't up to par, but. Also, I could see Breck Shea, we talked about this before, but I could see him, if we end up switching up formations in the middle of the game, playing a winger up up higher uh, along the lines of what we saw with Greg Garza. Granted, Tata Martino's system's different, but you know, whenever you saw Greg Garza going up and playing a, in the midfield last year as opposed to playing on defense, I could see that happening too. Yeah, I think a lot of it, I think we're going to see this sort of transfer of power over the run of the season. Um, I yeah. think that Breck Shea has solidified himself as the starter for the time being. But I think and it and it just relates not to Bello as a good player, but as it relates to a full 90 minutes. And knowing that Bello that Frank can feel confident in Bello coming in and as a substitution, especially once games are locked up and stuff like that, that I feel like we now have another Gressel Tito 
matchup in our lineup where we're going to see this change over the course of the season where we're going to constantly be debating like is it it should Bello be starting or should Breck Shea be starting because they're both going to be really vying for that position as the season evolves and right now to your point earlier I think that we have our starting lineup going into DC this weekend but I expect that we see it Barring how his injury goes and how severe it is, I think we start to see Bellow get substituted more or at least see, um, you know, because that's the other thing is you want Bellow to get enough playtime that he can still learn from those mistakes and stuff like we talked about. Because if he's starting, you know, are you substituting him because of mistakes or because it's the, the right decision at that time? And so I think the natural progression from that is just to put in Breck Shea initially and then sub in Bellow so that if he does make mistakes, he's still in there and he's learning from that and adapting. You're not going to sub out that position twice, you know? Yeah. I mean, we would be, we'd be stupid not to try and get as much out of George Bellow as we can in the next year because he can't be, he's, he's not old enough. He can't be transferred in the summer. So we have him for at least this entire full season. Um, and then I, I want to say, if I'm not mistaken, his birthday's in February. And then, Next year, we we have him probably until the summer. Whenever somebody's going to come in and swoop for him, I can't imagine they're not going to come swoop for him yeah. next summer. So we got to we got to be able to get what we can out of him. I don't see. I don't know if Breck Shea is a long term uh, player here either. Right. He seems to be a mercenary type these days, right. going from Orlando to Vancouver and to Atlanta. That, I think some of that depends on how his run of play goes this year and how successful and comfortable he is. And if anything, if again, I can't say it enough. Last night's a very small sample size, but if last night's any indicator about what he can be for this team. The sky's the yeah. limit right now. So uh, I look forward to that position, especially moving forward. Um, so other t- – and, that, and that's, that's, that's something that's great. Uh, uh, sorry not to just c- continue to harp on this because we, you know, we probably should wrap it up in a little bit. But this lineup, the personnel at the back in that back three is perfect for someone like Breck Shea because he's not naturally a defender and it just relieves him Absolutely. of some of the burden and the responsibility. That typically comes from playing left back um, in a typical four back system. So, yeah. uh, other takeaways from Atlanta's opening in Concacaf round one: uh, Pitti Martinez. We saw some really great footwork out of leg one. Ultimately, got a little bit rattled, I think, as that game progressed and got a little inconsistent on his touches. But last night, it seemed like, aside from one or two instances. Pity could do no wrong. I mean, he he had a couple shots that went a little out of line for him. One of them ends up drawing a corner. That first one, he had a perfect opportunity to set up and take a strike on goal and ends up skying it. But overall, at one moment in particular where he ends up playing a ball to Barco in stride from 60 yards out and catches Barco at his feet that it was one of those, holy shit, like this is going to be – a player that over the course of this season we are going to see potentially rival that first year run that we saw Miggy really grow fond- grow the fondness in everyone's hearts for Atlanta United because he he has everything that you want to see out of a player the the footwork the long ball I think maybe my, one of my concerns might be uh, some of his pace and speed on the ball but what he has that nobody else that Atlanta United has had in its first two years is 
the ability to play with the ball at his feet with a level of confidence that he is taking on two and three defenders at a time, which creates a ton of space around him for the likes of Martinez and Barco. No, agreed. I mean, again, your point about his his pace on the ball, victim of circumstance, right? Yes. Because you're talking about Absolutely. him coming in. Absolutely. Even even though he's not a one, we've talked about this, he's not a one-to-one replacement for Miguel Almiron, but whenever you look at it, he really he's not a one for one replacement, but he is his replacement, right? He's not the the comparison is not an exact. They're not a mirror. They're not Spider Man pointing at each yeah. other. It's it's more. He has I think he has things that Miguel Almiron doesn't. Yeah, I mean his his ability. Um, I'd say Yamil Assad two when it comes to how closely he can keep the ball at his feet and how how he can dribble through people. We used to talk about that with Assad. He had these small strides where he was deceptively quick and he was able to get through traffic a lot better. Petey's even better than that. And the one thing I will say, once the dam breaks, I think he's going to start scoring goals in bunches. I agree. I think his his confidence, he got a little frustrated last night. That's the one thing I will say. I mean, that tackle that, that he tackle threw was, pretty terrible. Was, was a little frustrating. That's something we could talk about in a second too, because I don't think it was just his play that was leading into that. I think the oh, entire no. team it was, was a lot of circumstances. Absolutely. But that said, his link up play with Barco, he's making Barco. They're making each other look like uh, both MVP type or best eleven type candidates. And Barco's somebody I want to get your opinion on in a minute. But but Petey's link up play, his ability to play on either side too, his ability to play inside. And then also to be on the outside. It was, he was very unfortunate to not get a goal last night. He was. Uh, and so was Barco in that regard. Agreed. So, like, I don't want to harp on Petey too much. I'm really excited uh, for what, what he, you know, kind of holds for the team or what kind of future it holds for the team having him here for however long it is, even if it's just for a year before he gets uh, sold off to Europe. Ezekiel Barco. Yes. Oh, my God. So, I've – he has – taken every bit of criticism that he got last year from Tata, from the media, he is playing from with a everyone chip on his shoulder like no other. And that is from both legs of of that first round for Atlanta. And he's not playing angry. He's playing confident he with Asi- that chip on his shoulder. From, aside from his hesitancy to take some shots in that first leg, I have very Dude, little to yeah. complain about. Um, yeah, you know, you, he took some shots last night, and yeah. he took one. He took one, and Angie goes, "All right, maybe we know why he doesn't shoot because <laughs> like, it went into the crowd." So. Yeah, but at the same time, Pitti has one of those too. So uh, I, I don't read too much into that because he has another one late in the game that's right on frame, and and their keeper happens to just make a great save on it. But at that same point, you know, it's the Carbonaro effect. Yeah, man. exactly. <laughs> Earlier about uh, Pitti not being a one for one replacement for Miguel Almiron. What I think has really happened in this lineup is you've taken Miggy and you've taken his responsibility and his role and some of his best attributes where maybe he was a sort of A minus and you've then upgraded to maybe some A plus distributed over the over two positions, essentially. So whereas you saw a lot of mobility in Miggy left to right up on the upper side of the pitch, Barco is taking on that role right now. And you're seeing him play 
up at the top left with Breck whenever he's getting runs over there. You're seeing him link up with Gressel over on the right to the same regard, and he's he's tracking and overlapping back and forth, which allows Pitti to stay much more central up at that upper midfield position so that whenever the ball gets there, he's able to pull those two and three defenders towards him and still be confident enough to play around them to open up that overlap with Barco or a quick drop off to Martinez or whatever it may be. So you're seeing both of them find a way to take on the roles and responsibilities that Miggy used to have independently and try to try to do something a little bit better and more confidently um, as individuals separately. Well put. And I can't tell you what position Barco even plays because he is he, everywhere now. And that is the now. Miggy. And, and that is, is the all Miggy. over the pitch. I, I think coming through that he is just running full clip. I mean, seeing him at the end of that game last night, whenever the game was put away and we're up 3-0 at that point, uh, I guess it's still not really put away because if they put one in, it goes to penalties potentially. But you've got Herediano on the ropes and they're playing so far back and and rather than just sort of controlling the game you see Barco still making full sprints down that left wing and and taking on defenders and pushing the issue which then allows the rest of the team to sort of rally behind that and know that they're not done and really until that fourth goal goes in they weren't done um we saw them kind of relax a little bit after that and they're just kind of playing space and possession but Hell of a game, man. Hell of, hell of a, hell of a first round. It was, it's crazy to see Atlanta evolve over two games to go from a team that was clearly in a preseason rhythm to a team that seems to be in a midseason run of form that quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it just a, just a touch back on that. Barco, his, it's fucking tireless, man. It's like the opposite of what we were talking about with George Bellow. It seemed like he was getting faster as the game got on. It's um, just if we can get him to, you know, maybe get rid of that bleach blonde hair. And um, uh, But still, another player. He, uh, he's about to turn 20 years old. He's still not even 20 years old. Any it's other crazy. takeaways from um, debut for Atlanta? I mean, I think there's a lot of them. But uh, ultimately, it's exciting. It's great. Uh, oh, this is what I wanted to throw into the vault. Um, and obviously, Dan's not here and get his take on it uh, over text or something like that. Um, I just want to get a quick over-under. I'm going to set the bar at nine and a half goals after in in um, in light of last – in both legs, actually, and his progression. Julian Gressel's goal tally for, let's say, even all competitions at nine and a half goals. Are you going over or under? Um – Mm. scored four last year I, believe. I think i'm going to take the under but i think he gets close and i think part of that decision just relates to the amount of players that we have that are going to be scoring goals <laughs> and that and that his well, are going to that, be goals like they were last night where he just happens to be in position and, and can take a crack on it and and put it on frame but i don't expect him to be the Pete, I, I don't expect him to be challenging PT or Barco for that uh, secondary 
goal scorer for Atlanta United uh, next to Martinez. I think that he'll be a situational goal scorer. I think Breck Shea ends up scoring a couple too. I mean, he had a couple opportunities last night that were just narrow off. Yeah, it was unfortunate. The um, the the angle and the speed at which Breck Shea came in on that that open goal or that that open yeah. side. Um, it was very unfortunate to not score that. I'm going to take the over on Gressel, and I think it has to do with the amount of attention and consolidation of the field that happens whenever you start getting um, you start getting Joseph and Petey and Barco all drawing so much attention in the middle that his ability to come yeah. in on that angle, that diagonal, and to, and, and to shoot with the yeah. outside of his foot. We've seen it multiple times. Last year he scored a couple goals with it. And then last night, obviously, I think that it's 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 yeah. high season or high time for him to score those goals. And then we got to start thinking about what we're going to do in terms of a designated player or Tam ex- or um, designation for for Julian Gressel because I think he's earned it at this point. I think that he's going to be demanding that money towards the uh, I don't even middle to, to the end of the season. Right now. We'll we'll think about that another time. Yeah. One other thing. Um, or am I overreacting and thinking that FIFA should? Um, even if it's behind closed doors, put some sort of sanctions or some sort of reprimand against O'Shea Nation yeah, for the game. There was last a couple because of times I felt like he really lost especially control. Especially the of that first game. second half was a lot better, but that first half got to be the last ten minutes of that first half was impossible to watch from an officiating standpoint. I mean, to it was just so imbalanced as far as not just when fouls are being called, but how cards were being distributed where LGP gets one on his first defense. And then um, you have very similar situations with Herediano players making egregious tackles in the back or, or challenging players like Barco in a goal scoring opportunity, which I think he actually does get ball and, and, I, I I can see that, but he's still pulling down on his shoulder and to not even award a free kick in that situation seems like a huge oversight. So there, yeah, it was just, it was just inconsistent at best. Um, horrendous at, at worst. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was a little frustrating, uh, to be honest. It was, uh, I think part of it too, wasn't just the imbalance and the amount of fouls, but also the demeanor that he used in talking to yeah. these players too. Um, you you mentioned LGP, and I went back and forth with Eve uh, Galarsep on on Twitter last night, kind of giving him shit because he said that LGP got away with one with that second foul. And and granted, if that was his first offense, we all we all know fouls should be treated equal throughout the game, no matter where they're they're where they're committed, no matter what time of the game. No matter if a player's on a yellow, if they're not on a yellow, to me, if that, but that's not right. the reality of the situation. That's not how games are officiated, uh, with the exception of egregious fouls. Um, LGP, if that shoulder charge on on the back was his first, if he if he wasn't already booked, I understand giving him a yellow, but then to warn him. Really, when he's created, he's exactly. only really had two offenses in the game, and to tell him that's two. Yes, that's two fouls, but then how many exactly. times have I seen um, Eric Rometty get pulled down in the midfield and then and then Barco get pulled down to where it's not getting reprimanded? It's just it was a little unfair. And obviously I was being a little irrational, a little emotional last night uh, with that and just kind of in good fun banter back and forth. But um, I think that 
it, it was just a little unfair. We we try not to harp on the refs too much last night, or uh, on the show. But last night, it was just it's just hard not to address that, just because it was so imbalanced. Uh, Already the getting trashed from uh, Gouda asking if we have jobs, which brings me to my next point that we do need to start wrapping this up. We're about a, an, an hour away from the yeah. time I need to clock in. I still need to grab a shower here and, and make myself presentable for an office. Um, that yeah. said, looking ahead to the DC game, uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, have they changed at all from when we talked to the DC boys on Sunday night? Yeah, I think so. And I think one of the things that really um, that they kind of enlighten us to was if Frederick uh, Briant is is starting back there and he's if we're able to get past. Um, I already forgot the uh, the right back's name, but I mean, if Brex J can play like, like he did last night against D.C. and open up that back line and then really get um, Frederick Briant on a island. I think that we're going to score a handful of goals. I, I honestly, after seeing how we went in two games from preseason to midseason form, granted, uh, that was part of the criticism and why people were up in arms after the first game whenever we lost is that Herediano's right. not a world beater and they're not even right. that, that high in their table. So maybe I shouldn't be overreacting. But at the same time, just seeing the fluidity of that team last night, how we were really never in. I think it just broke them early. Just like what we saw last night was a mirror match from the first leg where Atlanta got down very, very quickly on a mistake goal opportunity by LGP. You saw the exact same thing happen in Atlanta's favor last night where that very first goal in less than a minute is scored by Martinez off of a boneheaded deflection uh, defensive play by Herediano. And no no sooner does that happen than just a few moments later they've scored their second and have the go-ahead to win the game. I think at that point the mentality sets in that Herediano is like, it ha- because it happened so quick that Atlanta was able to run away with it like Herediano was able to do in that first leg. So uh, to that standpoint, uh, my thought on DC is I, I'm more confident in my score prediction, but it remains unchanged for this weekend. I think that Atlanta still wins in a 2-1 game. Um, and, and I'm more confident in that prediction, but I don't necessarily – think that just because they had a really great game at home which props to everybody that showed up at Kennesaw last night and showed up rowdy and proud excited to have a international game at the bins on either March what is it March 13th or 14th so you'll be international at that time so you'll miss it <laughs> yep. um, we'll be over in, uh, but, uh, in Rome but yeah I think that I feel much more confident in Atlanta being on the road Sunday and they've got a lot of momentum and they've had a a real game or two real games going into that, which definitely benefits them. And I think that uh, the upside of that is that we do have our lineup solidified going into that game in Audi Field. Yeah. All right. So we will be back on Monday evening for a regularly scheduled program where we'll break down the DC United game and give our thoughts and conclusions. And then we'll preview the Cincinnati game with Cincy soccer talk and episode two of offside trap until then, anything else from you, Tim? I don't think so. Next Monday is going to be my last, last night, my last, last night of podcasting night for a while. You're going to do it big. 
<laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. We... <laughs> All right, guys. However you found us, thank you so much. Um, happy happy Five, Five Stripe Friday, Friday, guys. Thanks for spending your morning with us, however you found us. Uh, if you did find us on iTunes or whatever, be sure to throw up that rating or a review. Always helps out. And hopefully we can be back on all of our regular platforms. Just bear with us on Monday. We'll we'll make sure. We're just trying to get this out in every way that we can for you guys, knowing that it's a challenge sometimes to be on YouTube and more people are on Twitter or whatever it may be. But however you did find us, we really do appreciate it. And thank you for your patience as we try to work through this whole thing together. Love the hell out of you. We'll see you next week. As always, go Atlanta and be home before dark. <laughs>